This is a podcast that contains spoilers, sensitive material, and acts of villainy. Listener discretion is advised. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Oh, right, for Christ's sake, why? Hey! Why? Why, because we fucking can! I commit evil to destroy the greater evil. We make the terror. (laughs) Welcome to the World Domination Committee, a monthly podcast where we discuss villains from media and history, what makes a good villain, and what makes a bad villain better. I'm your host, Exala, and I'm about to burst your South Sea bubble. And I'm your other host, Trinzala, and I know your dirty little secret. Give our podcast a five-star review, and I will consider letting it go this time. (laughs) Today's villain is of the historical kind. We're going to be taking a trip into the way, way back machine into early 16th century England. So if you're not of the historical predilection, make sure to listen to this podcast as you fall asleep to the horrors. But most importantly, do you hate your prime minister? Do you hate the prime minister position in the first place? I mean, why do they get to be in charge? Really? Do you hate colonialism? Despise late-stage capitalism, cryptocurrency, inflation, and all that other shit? Oh, you know who we can blame it on? Today's villain. Robert Robert Walpole. Today's sources, because we are covering a historical topic, come from two books. The biography of Robert Walpole, UK Prime Minister, and you're going to have to help me uh, on this one, X, because this one's a little bit hard for my tongue. Uh, It's Sharma Bidyanand. Ah, yes, yes. And our other source is Money for Nothing, the scientists, fraudsters, and corrupt politicians who reinvented money, panicked a nation, and made the world rich by Thomas Levinson. And then I wanted to cover some other sources, but the villainy of capitalism had behind a paywall um, the sources of David Hume's A Character of Sir Robert Walpole, A Human Factional Fears, and The Rage Against the Scots and Future Historians by Mark Hanvelt and Mark G. Spencer, which, come on guys, can we can we get over this? Can, can we please let our scholarly articles be free, at least so that the public can read them a little bit? I would think that university should be free in itself. So if we can't get the scholarly articles free, we got to start somewhere first. Okay, it's a villain for another day. It's a villain for another day. <laughs> so I guess um, without jumping too far into the weeds, let's give a little overview of why we're covering Robert Walpole today. Yeah, it seems a little bit niche, right? I'm sure most people, at least in the United States and probably even Canada, have never heard of this guy's name. Or even Australia or India. or True. But I bet you've had to study him if you live in the UK. So for those of you who do not live in the UK or have not studied him, Robert Walpole is a man that was alive in six, between the late 1600s, early 1700s in England. Around Isaac Newton time. Yeah, actually. And shortly after the plague, um, he was essentially the first prime minister, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. I mean, he basically made prime ministership a thing because of his villainy. Exactly. And... and- Let's actually, let's cover why he's a villain, like, like, like yeah. everything. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. We'll give you, we'll give you the teaser and then we'll go into the nitty gritty of these different aspects of him. So I guess for starters, he was a very bad family man. Uh, he didn't care about his 
19 siblings, his parents, and also stole from his mother after his father died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She went to court with him and everything. It was crazy. It's, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. But, I mean, not only that, but he lied his way to power. Like, the entire way and somehow kind of got away with it. Cook in the books. <laughs> Cook in the books. He was also a very corrupt politician. I mean, one of his, I guess, rises to power was the fact that he essentially bribed everyone, but also took bribes himself. Oh, yeah. And then, like, the entire time, he was, like, uh, lining his pockets with just money, left and right, the government's money, but putting it into his own personal bank account the entire time. Which, I mean, no politician would ever do that. Never. Never. Oh, no. Unheard of. <laughs> but i mean he also like what supported the slave trade pretty heavily oh yeah i mean that was one of his key investments uh during his political power so you know the, all is a great thing <laughs> yeah um walpole also after supporting the slave trade and basically funding the south sea trading company or at least contributing to it uh, he changed how money was used and viewed and created the concept of modern day credit actually i've looked into this credit goes all the way back to mesopotamia so he actually didn't but he brought it more into prominent uh prominent yeah especially with stocks and trading on the margins like getting into the nitty-gritty of financial stuff like so it's like credit but it's like credit with stocks instead of like credit with money owed to someone specific so it's kind of like that weird like in between yeah. yeah like i mean stocks as themselves are kind of ephemeral so the credit with stocks just is even so more... ephemeral on top of ephemeral <laughs> yeah. ephemeral squared and, and really i mean he created like england's soft power that still lasts like to this day i mean he's the reason why p- countries like canada and australia still bow to now the king um and the fact that why we have prime ministers in commonwealth countries but also the role of a presidency in places like the united states i i only mean say like a presidency it's just like 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 congress or like the like you know like the uh the person's in charge of kind of like congress like the vice president i think is in charge of senate or something like that it might sound really dumb here but i haven't brushed up on uh, american basically he entrenched governing bodies that can stay in power for long periods of time and can kind of weasel their way in and out of different things so it's kind of like going to like his mo a little bit like yeah the thing that he would kind of do a lot and i think in order to kind of understand that we have to go through uh something called de jour and de facto this is legal speak isn't it uh, it's not necessarily legal speak but it's how uh like foreign policy speak or yeah. like historians kind of talk about uh power uh, in certain ways and who wields it and how it is presented all right and, and i think de facto really uh well actually let's go for de jour so de jour really means like how it appears so here's a great example the united oh let's Ooh, let's get a little spicy. Let's get a little spicy oh, in this. Yeah, yeah. Add some, yeah. Chili flakes, some habanero sauce. So the United States is like, we support freedom, and we want democracies to succeed everywhere. So we're going to help the Ukraine by providing them weapons and whatnot. So that's de jour. That's on the face, right? Like, oh, the United States is so great. We're providing like them weapons, and we're helping out the war and whatnot. But de facto, which is what is actually happening is that they uh ukraine will eventually have to pay the united states back 
So they're uh, the United States is putting Ukraine in debt further and further and further so and further. The de jure is them fronting the weapons as an act of like demo- democratic revolution for another country, but the de facto is, oh, this is actually you're uh, borrowing from us. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to pay us back, and it's kind of like a weird power play. Sounds like classic U.S. Yeah, classic United States. So I mean, that's just one example. There's like multiple examples of someone being like, "Oh, I'm doing this out of the kindness of my heart," but and then like secretly, it's like, "Oh, it really actually benefits me." I mean, kind of the image that I have in my mind is like somebody that has a big smiley face and is holding out their hand to shake your hand, but is holding a knife behind their back. But maybe that's getting a little too literal into it. I know that it can be useful to an advantage as a politician, but I'm just seeing it as two-faced. Yes, it it is exactly two-faced, and we'll. Walpole has so many faces it is absolutely insane, but he uses this a lot. He uses this kind of like a, a smiley uh, kind of like, you can really trust me. I'm such a great guy. And then he gets like really like kind of dark and deceitful behind the scenes. We'll actually learn later that like one of his biggest nicknames is the Screen Master General. General. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, obviously he's a politician, but he also really embodies that politic many bloodsuckers, I would say. Beggars in suits? Yes. So that's kind of the overview of why we're covering Robert Walpole today. Uh, So if you aren't interested in any of that, keep playing the podcast and fall asleep to our gentle, soothing, sultry voices. But fall asleep to my very nasally voice. Drake. (laughs) Uh, but if you are interested, then stay awake, have some coffee, sit down with us as we discuss some very horrible and kind of boring but kind of interesting and still relevant today things. Prepare for tea time. So I guess without further ado, let's set the stage for what brought Walpole up to power. The South Sea bubble, as we mentioned when we were talking about slave trade. Uh, so the South Sea Trading Company was a British joint stock company that was founded in 1711, and it was essentially created to reduce the cost of British war debts. You know, Britain loves colonialism. They're going to go and fight billions of countries, but not always have the money to do it. So the South Sea Trading Company was used to try and help Britain out. Oh, yeah. And... It's kind of like you would think about this company kind of like a, like the uh, East India Trading Company. Yeah, it was like around the similar time frame. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely around the similar time frame. Except uh, it was a little bit nefarious. A little uh, bit... Very nefarious. I mean, even more nefarious than the East India Trading Company, but only domestically, not foreign. Mm. Uh, the they monopolized like some trade with Spain and the Caribbean and South America. Yeah, they were transatlantic uh, trading, and through that they exported rum, mahogany, and humans, as we mentioned, through slavery. I honestly, mean, not very efficiently, though. I mean, yeah, but it's still a yeah. Honestly, the South Sea Trading Company we could cover as a villain in and of itself because of what they did. <laughs> um, to quote from our one of our sources, "Money for Nothing." Every Briton with two shillings to rub together, it seemed, would hear of the South Sea Company, would buy into its promises, and would be dazzled, for a time, at the prospect of riches beyond imagining. So it sounded really lucrative to invest in this company, even if it meant investing in very bad things. I mean, it was the new East India Trading Company. This is what you did. This is how you became—this is how you became— 
part of the upper class. Yeah, I mean, stocks are kind of new at this point in time, so people see that as lucrative too. Like, oh, we can get money off of this without really having to work? That's awesome. And this is at a time where you can, like, kind of buy titles or buy your way into positions <laughs> I mean, of power. we can buy titles now, right? Established titles? Wink, oh, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a bubble itself. <laughs> <laughs> so... As bubbles are prone to do, the stock prices began to become overinflated in the South Sea Trading Company. And in the ni- in 1720, the bubble popped. Oh, was a it a scam, you think? Hmm. Hmm. Weird. Needless to say, a frenzy was spawned throughout Europe, and the national economy was reduced as a result. The first, the South Sea bubble... Popping was the first, and in many ways, the archetypal stock market crash and fraud. It's kind of similar to uh, the recent like crypto crash uh, here in oh 2022 with FTX and um, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, where he basically kept two different books, one that was legitimate and then one that was illegitimate. And he's like, oh, I'm too dumb. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But when it's actually investigated, like it all just breaks down and falls apart. And he obviously knew. He obviously knew that what had to be going on. And so that kind of just like ties it into like today, like even today, like this still goes on in like unregulated markets. Right. And that's exactly what people were doing. The reason stock prices got overinflated in the South Sea Trading Company was because of all of the people keeping two books, notably people like Walpole. Oh, Walpole, I think, was even more devious because not only was he a part of the bubble, but he was also a part of the government. Yeah, which we'll touch on throughout, like, I guess the timeline of his life. But yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like double evil. Yeah. Um, And I guess to kind of wrap up, part of the South Sea bubble popping. Uh, It essentially created the modern concept of money and especially money's most dynamic incarnation credit. Uh, So interesting fact about the South Sea bubble, actually, Uh, Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, held stock in the company and, of course, lost a bunch of cash. And he actually wrote a little ballad ditty kind of thing about when the bubble popped. Oh, do you want me to read this? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> Thus diluted, bankrupt raves, puts all upon desperate bet, then plunges into the southern waves, dipped over head and ears, in debt. Now, if that doesn't sum up how everybody felt after the bubble popped, I don't know what will. Um, but that's about all we'll really cover about the South Sea Training Company and the bubble popping. So if you would like to learn more about this historical event, you can go check out Extra Credits on YouTube, which heavily inspired today's episode. Link in the doobly-doo. Hell yeah. Now, let's, so now you know why Walpole's a villain. Now you know kind of the time he's living in, uh, with, like, the economy and whatnot. You know, he's around Isaac Newton's kind of, you know, shoulders, Let's kind of go into Walpole's early life. Let's start from the beginning. Let's let's get into let's it. Let's really get into it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, good old Wally, as I, I like to call him, was born in North. Yeah, let's call him Wally from now on. Wally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes him sound more uh, non-villainous, even though, ugh, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. He was born in Norfolk, England in 1676. <laughs> I looked up a pronunciation. It's pronounced Norfolk, so... Norfolk, England. Anyway, uh, Wally was one of 19 kids, which is 
quite a bit, and he was the third you eldest think? brother of them. I mean, this is 1670s. You're going to have to hedge your bets having lots of kids. That's some healthy children. I wish I had that kind of constitution. <laughs> uh, Walpole was the son of a Whig daddy who was a well-off landowner. And wait, his... wait, wait. What does a Whig mean in this time? I guess for modern context, we'll dive into what a Whig is a little bit later, but it's essentially like conservative within government that supported a king. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other party was Tories, which were a little bit more, not revolutionary, but kind of revolutionary. They, they yeah. were a little bit more... They... Asking questions kind of people. As one should do if you're in power. But anyway. So so we have this conservative land-owning dad with 19 kids. And the mother was an heiress. So the, even though you have 19 kids and it's in the 1670s, they didn't leave like, they didn't leave like a, an impoverished life. They weren't like digging up dirt. They like weren't like Irish potato on. farmers. Yeah, exactly. They were they were fine. Walpole even went to private school, and then as he came of age, went to King's College, Cambridge. Yeah, and you know, I don't think he he should have gone to Cambridge. I don't think he was that smart. Like he wasn't an intelligent man, but he wasn't a not intelligent man. I mean, he's, he's like that clever. weird. Yeah, he was a clever man, but like. He went to Cambridge to get those those connections, those that sweet, sweet, like, you know. Rubbing elbows with the intellectuals. Yeah, here's my business card. He actually went to college to become a clergyman, which when you think about it at face value, you're like, okay, you want to be a religious teacher. That doesn't seem like it would make much sense. But the fact that he did that at Cambridge and made all of those connections, I think he really wanted to be a clergyman because of the power behind it. Sounds like a real clergyman. Okay, sorry. Backing <laughs> off, backing off, backing off. Um, and I guess we can touch on the first point in the villain's arc for Mr. Wally. Uh, trauma, as we have defined in our villain's arc, is usually the turning point for what starts to make someone a villain. So in 1698, uh, the last of Wally's eldest brothers died, which meant he had to leave school and become the head of the household and basically take on the responsibilities of not only being the primary landowner, but also the hereditary politician. I wonder how well this will go. Mm. From Money for Nothing, our source, Wally was trained up as an estate manager, county not notable, and hereditary Whig. And then this marriage is kind of wonky. It gets wonky later, but I guess it's kind of important. So in 1700, he married Catherine Shorter, uh, which was a daughter of a wealthy timber merchant and a former Lord Mayor of London. More and connects. <laughs> Wait, what? He's marrying for those connections. He's marrying yeah, yeah. up. He's just marrying up. He doesn't give a shit about her. No. Absolutely not. He just, he just cares about the family's, like, basically prestige. Yeah. And that's horrible. But then... I mean, that's how it was in that time. Not to yeah. defend it, but, I mean, I'm sure Walpole wasn't the only exception doing that. So many people were doing it. What do you think a monarchy is? Oh, my gosh, yeah. All the inbreeding. Mm, yum. <laughs> Ooh, yum. <laughs> <laughs> well, towards the end of the seventeen hundred year 1700, Wally's daddy died, and that meant he became the master of a 10-manor estate, which brought in around 2,000 pounds yearly, which translated to U.S. dollar today is 450K now, for I w managing houses. Now, I'd say that is pretty big. 
But pretty wait, big. Pretty pretty big. But split amongst nineteen people might not be might be pretty reasonable price to kind of get all of your like you know all of your siblings okay, started. Fair, yeah. Like a kind six of, figure salary is a lot for like one person or like a family of four. But nineteen, it's gonna have to, it's gonna stretch a little bit more. Yeah, it's gonna stretch until like. Well, I'm not doing the math right now. I'm, 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 I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm terrible at math. Um, You'd need your calculator, <laughs> which is not around right now. No, 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 no. But I would say it's probably not a lot. But did he share it? Oh, uh, was no. he good? Was he was he going to help his family out and be a, a good old bona fide son? Head Fuck of no. Great. Nice. Classy. So, what did he decide to do with his money? <laughs> he vied for his dad's seat in Parliament, and he rubbed elbows and kind of lobbied for himself. And getting drunk at bars and like talking shit with all the intellectuals and elites. And what do you know? That got him pretty far because a year after his daddy died, he got elected into the House of Commons. What the fuck? I mean, those connects really go a long way. You don't have to be a good person. You just have to know a bunch of people, right? I mean, You have to know that... a bunch of people and have the money to deal out. And you know what? With that amount of money all to yourself, when you don't help out your siblings, I think that can get you pretty far. Mm-hmm. Especially, uh, you know, if you pay for everyone's rounds at the bar. Oh, If you have that much money, you can either become a Tony Stark type and engineer things and try and help people in a way, or you can become an evil villain. I was about to say Dr. Doofenshmirtz, but he invented things and tried to help his daughter, so. Yeah, I don't think that's the best example. No, no. You bring up heroes. That's not what this podcast is about. Let's talk about Walpole being like a high roller. I was trying to say that you can use money to become a hero or you can use money to become a villain. Are you quoting like 2000s Batman now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that Walpole is in power managing the the likes of the king, the wants of the king, uh, he and his wife Catherine, quote, threw themselves into the worldly and expensive pleasures of the capital, unquote. Oh, okay. Kind of like, ooh, we got all this money, let's blow it. Like, conspiracy theory here. So I don't know this for sure. I don't know this for sure. But I think he was kind of a gambling man. And you know how, oh, yeah? Like, a gambling man? Yeah, he's kind of a gambling man. And, like, you know, gambling addicts, like, have, like, this, like, kind of, like, need to, like, kind of, like, hide, like, their money status. I mean, or, isn't like, that how a lot of addiction goes? You kind of hide it and then kind of blow it in the secret? Yeah, I mean, and he's also frivolous, so he like, fancy clothes and whatnot, well, so he took all... he was frivolous, but his wife was more so. Imagine Lady wants her mink coats and her satin dresses and shit, and he's like, I just kind of want to eat food and gamble. So right. there was frivolity, there was excess, and there was trying to live up to the those around you. And so all of his siblings are right now living in poverty, and his <laughs> wife is has mink coat, he's, like, in parliament. His like... mom is a widow, and she's dealing with... The household, basically, because he fucked off to government. But he got all the money because men. And he's still the manager of the ten estates, but does he care about them? No. Is he managing them? Probably not. He's probably too busy in the bar rubbing uh, mm-hmm. rubbing shoulders. Elbows. So I guess that kind of brings us into uh, villain's arc number two, the mentor. Uh, as Walpole was interacting with so many different people and leaving this like life of a high roller, he got involved with something called the Kit Kat Club. Ooh, can which... you bring me a part of that? 
Better for sharing. <laughs> this is essentially a pub for wigs where they sat around, drank beer, ate meat pies, my missus love it, and talked the <laughs> shit about each other, but also gained a lot of dirty information about one another. Oh yeah, this is kind of like where you uh, you get someone real drunk so you can find out like their dirty little secrets. Their dirty little secrets. Something that might be exposing to a politician in the future or exposing to an intellectual or maybe someone is mm, not in the right mind with their finances. And but if you're Walpole and you know how to hold your liquor well or at least feign it, that's where you hear all the truths about people and kind of put it in your little book for future reference. Your secret little black book? Mm, yeah. Here in the Kit Kat Club, Walpole rubbed elbows with the likes of Isaac Newton and the fancy politician. So he not only had the inside knowledge from political members, but he also had intellectual knowledge. And notably from uh, Money for Nothing, Isaac Newton and uh, I forget his first name, but the man who figured out Halley's Comet, they not only create uh, invented forms of or figured out forms of math and physics, but they also used that to predict life expectancies. And they were also very involved in gambling. Yeah, and that that's where the life expectancies ties in, is if you can put math on a human, you can gamble on their life. Yeah, and you can also gamble on, like, cards, if you know the expectancy. Because back mm -hmm. in the time, people weren't thinking about percentages of cards. Most people would just play cards and they go, oh, it's just luck. But, you know, people like Isaac Newton or these mathematicians and scientists go, oh, I bet we can predict these things and actually make money out of it. Yeah, you find the equation, you calculate the odds. So Walpole met with people like these, and I think knowing a little bit of those math equations and actually being able to do statistics for certain things helped his advantage and helped him maintain his power. For sure. So that's kind of like where he gained his knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but his mentors were in that Kit Kat Club in Parliament. Definitely a part of like the mentors as like part of the villain's arc. Mm -hmm. And that brings us into the villain's arc part three, Temptations. As we've already kind of touched upon a bit, Walpole wanted to fit in with people that were in Parliament and a part of the Kit Kat Club, but he couldn't afford the life really because he was blowing all of his cash. To quote from Money for Nothing, between the expenses for a member of parliament rising within a faction and the cost of life in London with a wife trained in extravagance, Walpole's finances mimicked the nation's. He dove deeper, ever deeper in debt and was always reaching for the next expedient, unquote. So half a million dollars wasn't enough for him. No, no. Really? Half a million? You know, I and that's, that's a... in this like early, late 1600s, early 1700s. So now th that's like... Elon Musk value, Jeff Bezos. No, no, no. I mean, no. this is half a million, I'm saying, in current day's value. Oh, okay. Like, my mistake. My mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, still, still half a million dollars, that's, that would be a, uh, worth at least seven to eight years worth of my life working. And that was not enough for him in, like, this span of, like, five years, maybe four years. This was... I think under that, like, a very few years. This is him starting out his early days in Parliament of just blowing cash outright. And just, What would you do with that kind of cash? Like, what would you do? Uh, probably pay off your student loans, give to both of our families, give to our local community, and try and actually have a savings account. I, I, think, I think I would do a few of those things. 
Uh, I don't know about giving to family. Maybe I'm just as bad as Walpole. Maybe oh, I'm man. also villainous. I think I would invest it into uh, either stocks or real estate. Probably. I could see that. I mean, and then if my family really needed help, I could try to liquidate that and then try to, you know, help them out if they needed help. Fair enough. But I definitely wouldn't blow it in, yeah. like, a few years Just on... buying a bunch of beers and meat pies. Gambling. Gambling, paying people off, paying people's debts. Like, no, of course not. So Walpole's activity as a high roller basically kind of started catching up to him and he began to borrow money from creditors without paying it back not only that but after his of course you know his father died uh he shorted his mother on the will money from his father's death see i wouldn't do that see i would have that is evil that's fuck you mom you don't get daddy's money i do so i can buy my fancy mink coats and shit and she threatened to take him to court, and I would say rightfully so. She's still dealing with all of the other siblings. She doesn't have the property she because lost. she's a woman. Yeah. In this time period, Walpole has it, and he's doing nothing with it. But she threatened to take him to court, uh, and it didn't really come to much fruition because Walpole ended up mortgaging off his family land and selling it. So not only that, you've you- stolen from your mom's wi- your dad's will from your mom, but you also mortgage your houses and sell them, so your family is even more shit out of luck. Imagine that was built over generations. Yeah. Generations. And then it's spent like all in like a span of a year. Yeah. It's it's fast. It's just like, where did it go? I don't know. Bye. Oh my gosh. How horrible would it be for like three generations of your family trying to build up, trying to be important people. And which down the drain from one of your children. Imagine what the other children were doing if they were in power. I and we know from retrospect that Walpole is going to become an important person, but does it really matter? Because that, like, at that point, no one knows that Walpole is going to actually like succeed or do anything, and right. he actually never really even helps his family, even when he does become the prime minister of England. Yeah, and, essentially from this point on, when he is elected to House of Commons, his family is a blink of his eye, and. There is no uh, credence given to them. And so this is where, like, Walpole starts getting some ideas, Mm. some malevolent ideas. Well, not malevolent for him. Not malevolent for him. But who was the most powerful man in the country in England this time? I wonder. Hmm. The king, George I. And he will use him and just, like ring him dry of everything he has worth of his power but while keeping up the facade the du jour of having the king actually like walpole's ideas in his politics uh to quote from money for nothing a mere seat in parliament did not yet yield major political spoils but some offices could reward their occupants handsomely unquote and so i think during this time, he's really just, like, working. He's just really wheeling and dealing. And he's so on goes, the grind set. He's on that grind set. He's on that influencer lifestyle. Like, he... And, and so, 1705, he's counseling George of Denmark. He's like, hey, hey, 
I think uh, you have a problem with some money. Uh, I think I could help out with that. Yeah, he's not quite on level of counseling kings yet, but he knows where to start. You start with the prince. You rub those elbows even higher than the likes of Cambridge intellectuals. Hey, I think your uh, books look bad. Uh, let me cook them. <laughs> and then shortly after that in 1708, Walpole got his promotion. He became the Secretary of War, managing English Army's organization. Sounds kind of like a little bit out of his wheelhouse, but... Yeah, he's managing money and counseling princes, but, you know, Secretary of War, that's fine. Uh, he also became the treasurer of the Navy, the main war machine of England at the time. Yeah, because all world powers at this time, like, most of world powers controlled the seas. The seas were the fastest way to travel across the world. And if you controlled the seas, you controlled the world. That's why, like, England eventually got so big in that it owned 25% of the world. And there's that phrase, um, the sun never sets on the English empire. Mm. So they have their fleets. They have their soft power. It's very hard to shake the English empire. Yes. So now he is not only in charge of, like... He's not only a treasurer of the Navy, which is in charge of money. Right. He's also the Secretary of War. So now he gets to determine how much money goes Goes to the the war effort. And then, so it sounds like he has two offices that kind of have like a little bit of, I don't know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Conflicting interest? Not for Walpole, though. Oh, not for Walpole. Because if you can fund the, all the money you want into all the wars you want or into your own pocketbook, that's great to his advantage. And you can also really bolster your political ties if you say, yes, king, or yes, prince, we can do this war. We got the money for it, even if you don't. And then if a small amount of, I don't know, maybe a few hundred pounds goes missing here and there, you know, it's no big deal. Here and there, every day, into Walpole's fat pockets. No, no. Fat pockets. Very slim pockets. Mm. Walpole would never steal from the government. No, he's he's too good. He's too good. He's like the quartermaster and the captain all at once. And quartermaster and captain all at once what i mean is kind of like on a pirate ship where you get to direct where uh the war goes and quartermaster also dealing with the money uh if you want kind of more specification on this you can actually see uh cgp gray's video on pirates ah see when you said quartermaster and captain i imagined quartermaster as the cook and for walpole cooking the books and being the captain that would also work out that's actually pretty fucking funny (laughs) actually kind of like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we're still in walpole's early stages in politics but let's move on to kind of a little bit of falling action for him uh, his expulsions Ooh, ooh! now his lies are very naive at this time he's too young he's a baby in politics he, yeah. he knows what he's clever enough but he's not smart enough yeah yeah he's not a. uh, uh George Bush's vice president yet. Mr. Nichols, Dick yeah. Cheney, yeah, who we'll be covering on a later yet. episode. Yeah, yeah. He's not Dick Cheney yet. He he hasn't got good at, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing. So in 1710, he was removed by, as Secretary of War uh, by a Tory 
uh, Robert Harley. Yeah, and we mentioned the Tories earlier. They are the opposite of the Whigs. And one would imagine if you do not want to be in vehement support of the king, you're going to see the Whigs making questionable choices in the name of the king. Actually, I don't think we've made this very clear yet. So we said that we would dive into this earlier. So let's kind of dive into the difference between the Whigs and the Tories real fast, if that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, So um, during this time, uh, it was right after uh, the Magna Carta, I believe, or or right around the time of the Magna Carta, Mm -hmm. where the king was giving up some of its power to more of the people of England. And uh, so they like made a parliament uh, in which the people would decide amongst each other what to do, but the king still held a great, great amount of power within England. And so Whigs were people that supported the king and would always support the king, and they thought that the king was just and right. And the Tories were more of people that believed that uh, more power should be held in the people uh, and in parliament. Question. Yes? Do you think that is based on, like, the religious ideology of the monarchy as well? Were the Whig party a lot more, I guess, uh, to the book Christian in nature that they thought that God's power was passed down through the king? Or is that just uh, face value? It was actually actually multi-factored. Okay. So there was a little bit of enlightenment uh, going on there. So some of them uh, might have been secular, but uh, for most of the time, uh, it was actually because uh, they might not have agreed with the king's uh, religion at the time. So if the king was Catholic and you were Protestant, Mm. you might have been a Tory, you might not have supported the king, so you might have supported more of your uh, own power, Right. That sort of thing. And this so is it's like maybe twenty years before the Protestant Revolution, right? Uh, actually, I don't know. In, no, this is the Protestant Revolution was over a hundred years back. This is actually during the time of the Thirty Years' War, in which Protestants oh. and Catholics yeah. were actually killing each other pretty heavily over in Germany. Yeah, sorry, I got that mixed up. I know. Yeah. So, uh, no, they were all pretty much Christian at the time, but it's kind of. Uh, fighting within christendom mm-hmm. of which christian you are but at its core belief i don't think it's about religion at all i actually think it's about uh where the power uh lies that's fair okay i was just curious yeah yeah no no and that's entirely fine so i'm i'm pretty sure that was going on around this time that yeah <laughs> so <laughs> anyway so he was removed as Secretary of War by uh, Tory Robert Harley. Um, so he was no longer captain, but he kind of remained as quartermaster. And he could still cook the books. Wink, yeah. Wink. Uh, yeah, he stayed as the Navy treasurer, but he found the real power lied in there because he still had control over the money. He figured, oh, if we don't have control over actually how the army is being executed, you know, whatever, but we can fund them or not or fund ourselves yeah uh how can an army uh operate if it has no money to buy food (laughs) right Uh, as napoleon would say uh an army marches on its stomach Mm. so yeah he that's where he found its real power not in directing but in getting into people's bellies and where they really hurt I wonder if he pulled that from any of his family life. Probably. Probably. Maybe there's like a fighting over cereal. 
the 19 other children. I'm sure there wasn't, like, cereal in, like, the 1690s, but maybe yeah. have your, your porridge and whey. Oh, more porridge, sir. Well, in 1711, um, Wally didn't flip-flop to the Tories. Uh, as we see in a lot of democracies, people will try and boom-flip it, change their ideology to keep power. No, 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 I actually don't think, I think sometimes people hold on to an ideal long after it should be dead. And I think that uh, Walpole really exemplified this. And he exemplified this and also in his downfall. Foreshadowing. Anyway, in well, 1712, he was kind of expelled by the Tories. Kind of. <laughs> Very. He well, got kicked out. A little bit. It seems that someone was kind of looking into those books. And mm-hmm. you know what kind of books he kept? He kept two. One that was legitimate and looked great to the king at the time. And one that was what the real money was. And th- the problem with this kind of book is it looked good at the king at the time because the king was in a lot of debt. Yeah. And the king also wants wars, of course. So... Right, so how do you make it look good to the king? Oh, hey, uh, we're making money, we're repaying your debt. Oh, yay, we can fund some more wars. And then we'll make us profit, let's do it. And then your other book is like, oh, fuck. We are dead in the water. Like, literally. So the Tories came along, and obviously they're just going to attack the other party, which... Robert Walpole at this time was a very influential, like, member of. Yeah. And so he was doing, like, certain things such as, like, accepting bribes as the Secretary of War, which he was removed from. And maybe that's one of the reasons he was removed from That is the reason he was removed. That, That when they expelled him from Parliament, they had these factors as charges for his corruption. Accepting bribes as Secretary of War, also known as venality forged contracts from scotland high treason for double bookkeeping and treason for having different letters of what was du jour and de facto so you can imagine like receiving like a text so you can have like two different like text messaging services i, I guess like you could have like text message that says like hey uh we're great buds right and then on snapchat or something like that. And In the this, group chat, you go, yeah, fuck this bitch. Yeah, fuck this bitch. Like, you know. So you, then you find out that the bitch is in the group chat, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. that didn't happen with Walpole. No, but... well, with Walpole, I think that did happen with the Tories here. They found some of those double letters being like, hey, these letters don't match up. You said one thing. And then you said a different letter saying, like, top secret. Don't do not open around other eyes. And I think that's what, like, really, like, ratted him out. Yeah. They found he was sus, and they found the receipts to prove it. Which brings us into number four on the villain's arc, Revelation or Death. Walpole was expelled from Parliament and sent to the Tower of London. This is the place where you can go today and see all the torture devices. Yeah. Initially, it was the Royal Tower you used as a treasury, a mint, an armory, but from 16th to 17th centuries, it acted as a prison with a bad, bad reputation. Well, I mean, there's only like seven people executed, 
but how many people died just being there? So yeah. executed is kind of like, right. you know. People it's... actively killed, but I'm sure more people died of starvation or disease or maltreatment. It was not a nice place to be, especially when you think we are post-plague. I'm sure the state of a prison is very abysmal. So when you get sent to a place notorious for torture and death, you don't expect you're going to be coming out of the tower. This is also before Jon Snow. So, I mean, I bet cholera is rife in there. There's diarrhea everywhere. Uh, just, just rotting flies. I bet Walpole had a horrible time there coming from his f- fancy furs and posh life. Um, but while he was in there, he held up his du jour face and he was actually seen as a martyr by the Whigs and was visited frequently by leaders in the Whig party and allies. That party loyalty is strong, no horribly. Kidding. Just as it is into like today's modern politics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're someone that had held two positions of very important offices. Like, you know. Yeah, even if you were young, Walpole was young, but he had those two high positions, and he was very prominent and was very good at speaking to people, so they respected him. Especially if if you tell the king, hey man, you're good, your debt's gonna be taken care of. Yeah. Walpole used his wig status and his ties with the king to actually weasel his way out of the Tower of London. And in 1715, when George I became king, Walpole was actually released from the tower and got reelected right back to his old position. Oh, isn't it great to be a friend of the king? Mm. Oh, a friend, quote, quote. So that brings us to Villains Arc number five, Rebirth and Transformation. If we look at the Villains Arc four of Revelation and Death, Death being sent to the Tower of London, Walpole was basically reborn by coming back into Parliament, much to the embarrassment of the Tories. I think this is where Walpole kind of becomes the most powerful. I would think so. He is reborn. He is seeing what he's come from. He is seeing where he can go. Yes, I think this, now he, he's been in the trenches, now he's been in the tower, now he has all of his power to kind of, like, manipulate people and whatnot, and he is thrown right back into Parliament where he can take his revenge. I think he's also bolstered by the fact that when he was in the tower, his Whig friends would come visit him and be like, oh yeah, we miss you, we agree, you were in the right. So that kind of boosted his ego a peg, I would think, where he goes, oh, I don't belong in the tower. I fucking deserve to be on Parliament, and here's why, and you will support me. Right. And then all the ways you're like, yes, yes, queen. <laughs> so, in 1714, he became Paymaster General. Cha-ching! So not only was he treasurer before, now he's Paymaster General, because he always takes good care of money. Walpole loves that fat bank and knows how to deal with it. Do you think mm. this actually came from his childhood trauma uh, dealing with 19 children, or? I don't quite think so, because when he was made to become head of household, it was for a very short time before he got into parliament. Well, I'm so saying maybe... before that, do you think he was like oh. always worried about like finances and the manor and whatnot, and then it became kind of like an obsession for him? I can't speak for any factual validity, but me thinking about Walpole would say no. I would assume that him knowing he has two elder brothers and a father that's still alive would go, that's their problem. 
until it's thrust onto him. So maybe he really was more concerned about status. I would think so. And maybe learning that money equals status from his upbringing is what keeps him so good at maintaining the facade of having money in Parliament. I think that would make sense. And I think money and connections really, like, kind of held him in power. Exactly. Exactly. Which brings us to how he got into a secret committee. What? Yes, yes. A secret committee, you don't say. Oh, yes. With the wig and the king to investigate the Tory misconduct that threw him in the tower in the first place. Wow, interesting. That just so happened to form after he came back from the tower? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, I think he was secretly part of the World Domination Committee. Well, I don't see him giving us some of his fancy money on Patreon. <laughs> if only. I'm going to bring him back from the dead and do some necromancy and bring me up. Like, Can you double bookkeep for us? Hey, no one else is talking about you. Well... As Walpole was a part of that secret committee, uh, world domination committee, I guess, uh, both the Tories and some of the committee members started suffering some slander and money troubles themselves. Ooh, how unfortunate. I wonder why. <laughs> it seems the only person that can handle money, quote unquote, responsibly, is Walpole. So- or good old Wally. To bolster his own ego, he had a secret committee formed to investigate people and then slander them and cause money troubles? Or is that just conspiracy talking? No, come on. It's it, it's too good to be true. Well, after that, in 1716, our good old Wally was appointed <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer Yay! and First Lord of Treasury. More like the First Lord of Treachery. <laughs> That title will actually become very, very important later. Yes, yes. So in 1717, so just a year afterwards, he became a member of the Board of General Officers established to investigate the abuse of payments. Isn't it ironic? But use the position to further abuse payment and appoint people that have been like, oh, yeah. Those books are totally legitimate. You do such good books, Wally. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Kind of like the Prince of Wales. It's like, hey, you're a good guy. I believe in you. I don't have to look at the books. <laughs> they're uh, clean to me. Yeah, they look clean to me. Yeah, they're fine. Sounds corrupt to me. From one of our sources, Money for Nothing. Quote, between 1714 and 1717, he, Walpole, managed to accumulate over 60,000 pounds from investments of government funds under his direct control, on the order of 10 million pounds in 21st century terms, unquote, which is about, you know, a meager sum of 12.3 million USD today. He handled Oh, a small that. amount. A small amount. Tiny. Not everything was hunky-dory for Wally, though, as he continued to move his way through the ranks of parliament. There was a little bit of royal turmoil towards the end of 1717. Yeah, so when you have doubt in your own position, um, when something like the person that secures your power, such as, I don't know, the king, hmm. uh, dies, Oh boy. 
Yeah, um, it seems kind of stressful. Uh, you don't know where you stand anymore because that was like the anchor point for your power. And so if you're unsure about how the new king is coming up, why not just uh, sabotage oh, everything? Excellent. And then become the hero of the party that will support the king when none of the other wigs that quote-unquote support the king will. That brings us to villain's arc number six, which is new, and we have coined it the Boom Flip It arc. Walpole intentionally divides his own party. So the first thing he does is he goes, you know what? I cannot deal with this. I will resign from my status even though I'm in a very important status that no one knows the actual books or any financial accounts of the king can deal with, I'm just going to resign. I just can't stand for this atrocity. Oh, it's so horrible. I just don't know how I can deal with uh, George I's death. I was such great friends with him. And with this plan of resignation, he knows in the back of his mind that he's gonna win back his original role they're gonna miss him a little bit and he's gonna go oh fine fine you want me back so bad walpole also claimed that the most loyal wigs would stay with him since he was most loyal to the king thus establishing since rome the first amongst equals idea yes it was also even going back to like ancient like macedonia uh divide and conquer Divide e impera. Exactly. He he was just sitting there waiting. He was playing both his own party and the king because he knew he had so much power that the Tories could not really challenge him in any ways. But the Whigs could. Mm-hmm. And from that, he began the Whig split, which divided the party for more than three years. Which is crazy. Because, like, that hadn't happened in, like, a long, long, long time. Yeah, they're used to a very bipartisan system. So seeing almost three parties split up in your government for three years, imagine if you are from the U.S., a Republican Party, a Democratic Party, and another party coming into prominence for almost the run of a presidential cycle. That would scare a lot of people. Actually, it's scaring anyone now? One quick anecdote. So... Uh, there was one time that I was working uh, at one of my jobs, and uh, I got fired on a Friday, so that I wouldn't come in during the weekend. Because he used to come in during the weekend. Uh, I mean, I mm, more or less digitally, but but I got fired on Friday, so that you know couldn't go to the office, be angry, you know, do that whole sort of thing. And then I'm like, okay, I just lost my job. That's okay. And then it is midday on Monday. The following Monday from which you had been fired. Right. They called me and they go, we can't do this position without you. Can you come into the office today? Bet that tickled your nuts. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... This is kind of like what Wobble is doing, right? Like, Yeah, true. But he's he's kind of doing it on himself because he knows he's so strong. He goes, well, I resign, but you want me back, want me back. Oh, right, and, right. Because he yeah. knows it's going to work because who, who else knows the books 
but Walpole. Because there's and, the de jour books and there's the de facto books. And who else has the de facto books? Only one person. Right. And so Walpole waited patiently for his successor, who only had one of those books. And what do you know? The successor failed. In the meantime, Walpole made friends in the commons and used that to kind of weasel his way back into the cabinet, as we all predicted. So we've been building up this entire time to the scenario that we played out later. This Walpole is already mature here. He's already been a part of the government. He's already been wheeling and dealing. He's been in the tower. He's been at the height of power. He knows the Navy. He knows the books. He knows the king. Right. He has all of these deep secrets. He's been rubbing elbows. He's been wearing minks. He's a fancy lad. And, and he knows the know. And so he's going to now take advantage. He gets really lucky with this. Yeah. It kind of was like a coincid- coincidental timing of him being in government again and also the South Sea Trading Company forming a bubble. Which we talked about earlier, if yes. you remember. So we bring it back now. The government, Parliament, and Walpole planned to use that same South Sea Trading Company to take on British debt in exchange for stock. So this kind of gets a little bit complicated. So... um. England at the time owed a lot of money because of its wars because mm-hmm. it would usually borrow from, say, other countries Yes, in order to fund its wars. Yep. And to conquer other countries. Yes. So it would borrow from other countries to uh, conquer other countries because it's kind of how nobility worked back in uh, old Europe, uh, 30 years war kind of stuff. Um, but... That had all this debt but if you had a company say like the east india trading company or now the south sea trading company or now the south sea trading company who if you invested like a little bit of stock in which stock is more of just like owning like a very slice of a business yeah so like you're kind of like an investor like you are technically an owner of that business but only like a part of an owner of that business um so this company started to happen and started to inflate and inflate and so walpole said hey king how about i give you like this or actually he went to the bank of england and it's like hey bank of england can you know about the king i can give you this much of the stock it's worth this amount of money where it's evaluated at which uh the evaluation is kind of like when you evaluate a house um how much what what is the price of this uh what is the price of this company and owning it and so you can take on debt because you go hey i can just repay it with this price of the stock uh so if your debt ever defaults we can just sell the stock and we'll be all good We'll take on all the debt. The stock is based on trading mahogany, rum, and humans. They thought that with this program, if fully implemented, it would put the treasury back in control of the full range of Britain's borrowings. So to essentially make this a Cards Against Humanity game, step one, take on national debt. Step two, engage in slave trade. Step three, profit for your country. Exactly. And this is a, like, very subtle tactic from Wally. And it, it... 
actually kind of eventually later was used to erode the king's power. So not only was Wally trying to scheme against his family and parliament, but also against king and country. Would it be to regain more of his own power, perhaps? Probably. I mean, he's like, hey, king, I can take on your debt. You can trust me. I'm good with the books. I'm good with money. I can figure out the problem from your endless wars. No sweat, hon. Yeah. Basically, Walpole set up the investments in South Sea Trading Company and invested in it himself. He, quote, bought at the bottom and sold at the top, adding greatly to his inherited wealth. I'm pretty fucking sure it was insider trading. Yeah, yeah, scams likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone told him it it was, yeah, it was insider trading. I mean, they all kind of, like, with Parliament knowing we have to take on debt, but also knowing the inflation about it, yeah. It all points to the right direction. And of course, as we have established in the intro of this podcast, 1720 South Sea trading bubble pops as the share prices plunged. And that was perfect for Wally's MO. I mean, yeah. And eventually he even gives John Blunt like a baronship. So (laughs) who is the the, uh, founder of South Sea bubble? Like, or not South Sea bubble, but the South Sea trading company. Yeah. So everybody's rubbing elbows and... Not getting off as they should. Connections, connections, connections. Mm. Location, location, location. <laughs> well, after all of that, in 1721, Walpole's governmentary cabinet was investigated for the South Sea scandal for corruption. What? Ha! Who'd have thunk it or thought it? But Wally ended up saving the heads of the ministry from punishment, such as people like Blunt. He gained the nickname Screen Master General for basically setting people up to fail and setting people up to get off scotch-free. Like the one guy who got released into the woods. Oh, yeah, that guy. See Extra Credits. It's a great series. Uh, we're just going a little bit more in-depth onto Walpole itself, but that is a wonderful series. Anyway, with Walpole's most likely of his M.O., he was putting on a play, so this is why he kind of gets like the name Screen Master General with his puppets. Like he was basically being all like, "Hey, you're gonna like lose your shirt, lose your estates, lose your family if you don't do exactly what I say." And he was having like kind of these like magic tricks where he was like du jour on the stage, being like, "I am nice and proper, and I always follow the nice ways," and then. Behind the scenes, he was just kind of, like, really being all, like, you will do this or I will basically make you and your entire family have to eat rats on the street. He's not just pulling the strings in de facto. He is tying the noose in a way. Yes. I also thought the term Screen Master General could be kind of pulling the screens over people's eyes. So with his du jour face and how he is showing people things pulling the screen over people's eyes to the de facto that's happening in the background. Definitely. Absolutely. At this time, he's starting to wield the majority of power in Parliament. Because he's really... After the investigation of the South Sea Company, like, a bunch of the key members of Parliament were either tried or eventually died or disappeared mysteriously. So Walpole is the guy who is holding strong throughout this entire kerfuffle. 
this is kind of like being like a big roller at like a poker table. Mm-hmm. Like now you have the most amount of money and kind of bully everyone in the table around you mm-hmm. to bet how you bet. And once again, he was appointed first Lord of Treasury charged with figuring out Britain's wars. Wow. Got a lot of experience here now. But- and also like he's still, he was still cooking the books at this time. Mm-hmm. He was still cooking the books. He still had de jour letters and de facto letters. Letters that still went to other people, but now people were so afraid of him, no one wanted to investigate him on those double letters. Which was a benefit to Walpole's position, because upon his appointment, he had the idea, hmm, let's make the treasurer the leader of government. At the same time, he was also appointed the Chancellor of Exchequer Exchequer again, and the leader of the House of Commons, and decided... We are going to entrench these roles, deeming himself the de facto prime minister, of which he would remain for over 20 years. And I think, oh, one thing I want to say is that is still the longest prime ministership of any prime minister in England's history. So he was not only the first, he was also the longest. Yes. And at first he was like, "Mm, no, no, I'm not... The first prime minister. He rejected his title. He's like, oh no, it's too much for me. Even though he was definitely the one controlling all the strings. He was controlling the king. He was controlling the parliament. He was controlling the money. He was controlling the money. Everything. It's absolutely insane how he both like, lucked into this position and also kind of lied his way into this position. He also kind of built the position for himself, too. Right. Ignoring all of his family. So after Wally gets elected into all these positions of power and essentially becomes the PM, he attempts to rebuild after the South Sea bubble pops and basically manages to mitigate the damage not only to the Whig party that was previously separated, but also to his buddy, the king. Yeah, and, and the reason why this has to be managed is because all of the king's debt was pinned to the price of the South Sea bubble. Mm-hmm. So if it was pinned to like a really extravagant price, something like, like you know, this cryptocurrency of this day or whatnot, maybe like saying like the American government um, owes this amount of money. Oh, we'll repay it with this, uh, this amount of Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin just dives in price. It, you have to go, okay, well, uh, funny thing about that. Can't really pay back your debts because because uh, <laughs> it's not really worth a lot now. Uh, funny story. Then there was a little bit of rebelliousness. Oh. Yeah. It, From the Tories? No, no, no. There's this even more extreme version called like the jacobites and i don't really know much uh know much about them in english history but in uh french history they were kind of revolutionaries that were very very left-leaning uh kind of more of like power to the people uh the people will rise you can kind of think of like les mis like those ah, would be like the Jacobites. Okay. So if the Tories are the like front-facing uh, Democratic. We're going to question the 
kingdom power, the Jacobites, or even then some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In modern times, like uh, in, in American politics, uh, uh, Biden would be your uh, Tory, and uh, the Jacobites would be your Bernie Sanders. In the meantime, Walpole continued to rise in power while simultaneously dwindling the power of the king. And also, his best friend? He would he would undermine his best king friend. Is a simp. <laughs> he actually persuaded the king to reinstate the knighthood so Walpole Wait, could get Which king knighted. is this? Which king George is George first. George the first. Alright, alright. Um so in seventeen twenty seven, George the first died. And Walpole's power was threatened. I think politically for the first time for yeah, in a while. And the reason why was George II didn't really like where Walpole was. And George II is the person who inherited the kingship. After George I, yeah. So he tried appointing a new prime minister uh, named Robert Townsend at the same time as Walpole. And Ooh, yeah, Ooh there's competition. competition. Yeah. Who's king's best friend? Yeah. But... It wasn't just up to the king because the queen liked Walpole better. So, oh, I didn't know that. They decided that Walpole and Townsend would share power, and they did for about three-ish years. Oh, cute! Do they cuddle? Do you think? No, they didn't. They clashed over foreign affairs, <laughs> <laughs> notably over Austria. They hated each other. I'm this was during the Thirty Years' War. At the just a yeah, because right during Austria, this is a time in. Huge political turmoil during Europe. This is huge. The only next huge big thing would have been uh, the Napoleonic Wars. Mm. So, foreign policy, I could see people clashing over it. It's just interesting to see that it's two very opposing parties that kind of have to live in the same space. It's like, you would think it's the enemies to lovers arc, but it's not. Because in 1730, Walpole actually domineered and affirmed his role as the only prime minister. This actually reminds me of uh, Julius Caesar, but uh, I, I, I'll step away. I'll step away from my uh, nerdship. We can cover Julius Caesar as a villain on another episode. Uh, I think I'll fall too much in love. That's okay. <laughs> uh, around this time, Townsend actually got kicked out of his prime ministership because Walpole domineered. And this was considered the height of his power. They called this period 1730s to... I think we mentioned this earlier... A Robinocracy. A Robinocracy. This we did was not mention it earlier, but I no, I'm pretty sure we did. But it, even if we didn't, this is the Robinocracy, and we have kind of different conspiracies of why it's called, like why he was first called a Robin. Yeah, it's never really explained. But as far as I am aware, they called it the Robinocracy because his name was Robert, and so it's easier to say a Robinocracy than a Robertocracy. And then my conspiracy theory is, is that he was like a, he was a Robin people. He was a... <laughs> he was a Robin people? Like a Robin taking the early wor- Taking early their worm. money. Yeah, the early bird gets the worm. Yeah, early bird gets the worm. I'm Robin people. So it's a Robinocracy. Okay. That, that's my conspiracy theory. Anyway. <laughs> you think also somebody said... Ah, Walpole's robbing us. And they go, what'd you say? He said, oh no, it's just a robin. It's just a robin. robin. I I never said anything slanderous against Walpole. I just said he was a robin. Mm. Like a bird. You know, 
Please don't hang me. Well, during this Robinocracy, notably in 1733, Wally was able to do a couple decent things. A couple. He avoided not only the Thirty Years' War, but also Polish succession. Which, at this time, this is kind of like a this really dark time in Europe. This is a really, really dark time in Europe. You mean darker than the plague? Okay, not darker than the plague. <laughs> okay, maybe just Europe is always dark. Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of Europe was fighting at the time, and um, a lot of people were going leagues and leagues and leagues into debt. So much debt that they had to go and colonize and enslave other people and uh, work them to death in order to pay off their own debts. Uh-huh. Oh, weird. Interesting. Um, no, uh, yeah, that's kind of what was going on in this time. And um, Walpole was able to be like, hey, hey, that's a war that does not need us. We don't need to send troops. We don't need to send money. We don't need to get food over there. We don't have, to have ships because that's going to hurt our people and you, going to make our finances much worse. Do you think after encouraging so much of the king's whims of, yeah, we can't afford to go to war by cooking the books, Walpole actually was starting to get a little bit serious about it? I actually think he was. I think he was actually seeing like, how much the country was in trouble once he was actually fully in charge of like the entire government he was like oh we're kind of fucked let's yeah, cause this is getting to the like more age of his power where the first couple 10 years 20 years he fucked around found out but now he's found out and goes oh, i can't keep this is not a healthy thing to continue doing yeah after the bubble popped and he was he was in charge of everything he's like Okay, we can't we can't keep playing these games when like things are actually getting pretty pretty serious. I mean, I I'm sure he still wanted to, but I think he's a little bit more self aware at this point. He's older. He's been in Parliament for so long, so I would feel the reason that he avoided Thirty Years' War and Polish Succession is because he actually would go. We can't afford this. This isn't our fight. And then he was dealing with all of this, and he still was able to like lower taxes for like the common man which is something you would not expect for walpole yeah you would think that he would raise them yeah he also managed england's debts finally uh, after like he thought about it he didn't get them to the level but he got them a lot closer than anyone else had right and this contributed to his continual erosion of the monarch's power oh yeah definitely it definitely contributed to the monarch's power because like if the monarch is not helping, like, his subjects, who is? Also, if the monarch is not engaging in as many wars. And I don't think Walpole was doing this necessarily nefariously to the monarch King George II at the time. They were actually pretty buddy-buddy. I think Walpole kind of had this mindset shift that, yeah, we need to figure something else out. Yeah, and also it might have been a little bit defensive. It might have been a little bit selfish because he's like, hey, if the common man hates me as much as they hate the king. Mm, I don't, I don't want to, I want to distance myself from the king a little bit more. Right, especially if we're fighting all these wars and some of our citizens can barely afford bread, which I can afford pizza, so I feel pretty lucky as a citizen. And pizza is the best form of bread. Oh, yeah. Pizza is the best form of bread. 
Well, I guess uh, we're getting into some falling action right now. Let's talk about Walpole's inevitable decline. What? This guy declined? <laughs> Surprisingly. Uh, there were a few things that contributed to this. In 1733, Walpole tried, but failed, to impose excise tax on wine and tobacco. Blasphemy! <laughs> And in 1734, Wally's support began to dwindle, and his popularity began to wane. Surprisingly. And his uh, fall didn't only begin with, like, beggars and seas, which is kind of why I call politicians. Um, but it also started with uh, the gin riots in 1736, um, which were kind of like uh, weed becoming illegal in the 60s in the United States, uh, where people were kind of like criminalized for uh, a new a substance. Yeah, a substance that was kind of like, uh, maybe not necessarily new, but like new to the market, mm. uh, so to speak. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, Wally here kind of, was trying to use his position as treasurer and position people and whatnot. And there was this officer who was really, really angry at the gin riots. And his name was uh, John uh, Porteous or Porteous, whatever. Porteous. whatever. This guy was an asshole. This guy was an absolute asshole. Wasn't he, like, in prison and then he got pardoned? Yeah, he got pardoned by Walpole. Um, and he should never have been pardoned by Walpole because a bunch of officers above him were saying that he had anger problems, that... You can imagine this guy is a school shooter. Oh, great. Yeah. So he locked, like, a bunch of people during these gin riots into a small space... And then just fired muskets onto them. So they could not escape. It wasn't like uh, like uh, trying to calm down the crowd. It was just trying... That's just sheer violence. It was just sheer violence. And it kind of reminds me of, like... Maybe this might be an English mindset to do this. Because I kind of think about, like, the... The massacres. Also known as the Amritsar Massacre. Uh, of where uh, in India they locked people into a very very small space um, who were protesting they were just protesting nothing more on a day of worship too on a day of worship and then just fired upon them with only one exit that when you have so many people gathered together there is no exit there is no exit and I think Walpole was a little bit responsible for this. I mean, he was the one who initiated the pardon of this captain who did the mass shooting. This this captain should have never been pardoned before. So I, I, I think this was entirely irresponsible of Walpole. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he was a money guy, not a war guy. And it's, this was yeah. absolutely I horrible. I mean, the fact that he didn't care about his family, do you really think he cared about the populace? No. 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 Uh, I guess to add on top of that, a year later in 1736, he also initiated the Distress for Rent Act. Oh, which... was that in 17, uh, 1737? Th yes, 1737, a year later. 
he initiated this act, which was, of course, you know, only to support monetary gain with people. And interesting fact, it's still in force in certain places today. Really? Yeah. This act basically says a tenant must pay double the rent if they don't vacate on time, which some people go, yeah, that makes sense. But what is the vacate on time? Is it noon on the first day of the month? And if you don't vacate, you have to pay double the rent for the new month? It's been 12.01. You now have to pay. I've moved out a couple minutes late before, and if I had to pay double the rent for a new month's rent, I would not be able to live like that. If Walpole was your landlord, you know exactly that would happen. (sighs) Basically, the Distress for Rent Act was to protect landlords, quote, to prevent frauds by tenants, unquote. But essentially, it's to keep landlords in power. So if you don't like landlords, you can blame it on Walpole. Eat your landlord, eat your Walpole. Hmm. Walpole sounds kind of uh, greasy. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, greasy meat pie. Mm. Stab <laughs> it with a doily. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 talk about the fall of this motherfucker. Yeah, because he's getting to it, guys. So if you oh, if, if ready, it is a fall, quote unquote. Well, if you're ready to see him get a little bit. Knocked down a peg. Not dug uh, in peg, not like, not his comeuppance, but knocked down a peg. Yeah. Uh, the close ties that he had with King George II, oddly enough, actually became his downfall. Uh, Wally tried to increase the economic prosperity of England continually, of course, because that's his MO throughout a lot of things, but his need for connections actually ended up that he couldn't really keep his word. I mean, he was technically a Whig, and his best friend throughout most of his political life was... was, Yeah, he even split the Whig party over it. Mm -hmm. So really, a lot of Walpole's goals was part of his connection with the king. So if he is beholden to this king and actually wants to keep his word, that means that he won't be able to do everything that he actually wants to do. Especially when your king is pressuring you for more and more and more expensive and almost impossible to fund wars. Hey, I want to punch France. Uh, we don't have the amount of money to afford that right now. Uh, but, uh, fuck. Yes, my good king, we can go and punch France. Yes, it might cost 200 billion pounds, but that's totally in our budget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so basically, Walpole kept getting pressured by the king, who was his major ally. So, when you get stuck in a rock and a hard place, what you gonna do? Yeah, what you gonna do? Especially because the Tories are starting to come a little bit more and more in power. Mm-hmm. They are starting to see the falterings of the king and thus the Whig party, I would assume. The king doesn't know how to lead an army. Do you think... Do you think Walpole knows how to lead an army? Walpole's not even a king, but yeah. I mean, he's been undermining the king this entire time. And he has had roles in military control, but he's not actually the executive commander. Right. He's only the executive commander of the government. And the money. And he started getting perceived by his own party as incapable. They saw... You're not actually leading our military. You're just making willy-nilly decisions about the funding for it and making stupid calls of who we can invade because of your ties with the king. Do you think you're just getting old? That's what they thought. 
the Whigs saw him as aging and incapable, which, to be fair, he's getting in his later 50s, and if we're in the early 1700s and the life expectancy is probably around 60-ish, I'm assuming, yeah, he's decrepit in their eyes, and he's still prime minister. Actually, I think around this time, he's just, like, stuffing his pockets. Like, he's, like, walking around, and all I can hear is just, like, little, like, coins jingling out of, like, his pockets. Okay. Just, like, jingle, 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 jingle. Not literally like that, but, yeah, he was still stuffing Yeah, his not pockets. literally like that, but, like, it, it was pretty much like that. Like, he's been in power for, like, how long now? Like, a long-ass time. This is coming upon 20 years of being PM. And, actually... They heard that jingle, jangle, jingle, and the parliamentary committee investigated Walpole's corruption. You know what? I am Robert Walpole. I know how to deal with this situation. I've been in this situation before. I will just resign, and they will need me back. They they will need my power. They want your dick. They in- want. They want all of this dick. In 1742, that's exactly what Wally did. He was defeated in the election and resigned from government, hoping the government would come crawling back to suck on his tiny little fat dick. Oh, yes. I make it bigger with little bills. Little bills, y'all. I stack it with cash. So after Wally's resignation... After, like, what... At this time, by the way, we mentioned Catherine earlier... Catherine's already oh. died at this point, and now he's yeah, on his... Yeah, she died a long time ago. Yeah, she died a long time ago, and now he's on his third wife with, like, two other mistresses that he's just, like, paying them money and money and money. Which, and to be fair, like, that is perfectly fine. Oh, yeah, it's perfectly fine, but, I mean, on the government's bill? Yeah. On the too. government's bill? I mean, that's kind of sus. Like, Talk to your people if you want to have a mistress. Also, talk to your government if... You're using their money for that. Use your own cash. Yeah, use your own cash. Uh, ask your people. You think a PM is going to pay for his OnlyFans using government money? I don't think so. I don't think Trudeau is looking at OnlyFans using Ottawa's money. Mm, eyes to maybe. eyes. Maybe. 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 Oh, no. Maybe. Don't start a new conspiracy theory. Oh, oh, sorry. My bad. My bad. Anyway, <laughs> after good old Wally resigns, he assumes the title of the Earl of Orford. He acted as an envoy between the House of Lords and the House of Commons, basically going in between and still advising people, even though he no longer had a seat. Yeah, I mean, actually, he actually, I think this was actually really good because he went between the House of Commons, the House of Lords, and the King, and he was able to be kind of like the envoy between all three of them in order to, for all three of them to get on the same page. So actually, I think this was actually very respectable for him to do in like his like uh, old age, I guess, or after his resignation or after his retirement, because spoiler alert, he will never become uh, a part of parliament or government ever again. I would think that it's still him trying to vie for a seat on the table. I mean, he's old. This is him becoming a mentor, which maybe is a new part of the villain's arc, is the villain becomes the mentor. Kind of like a Sith Lord? Like, are you talking like Star Wars Sith Lord? But I think he still wants to be there, but he can no longer be. And we should also, like, mention real fast, uh, we mentioned him being treasurer, that position was eventually turned into 
prime minister. Yeah, when we say he's the first prime minister, he entrenched the role of uh, the treasurer. Lord treasurer, yeah. First lord of the treasury as the prime ministership. So the reason prime ministers exist today is because Walpole said, this is the position of power that we will keep to communicate with the king. Yes, and this is who we will pay in order to keep them where they are. Right. After resigning from his position as prime minister, but still maintaining being an envoy between the House of Lords and the House of Commons, Walpole was actually able to retain the king's favor, who wept after he resigned. Yeah, he was a bitch. George II was a bitch. He he called him to his house like every single week. Like, you know... Even, uh, so, okay, so Robert Walpole's house, uh, no, 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 actually, the King's house used to be the 10th of Downing Street, which is known today as the Prime Minister's mm-hmm. house, and uh, uh, the King, George II, was all like, Robert Walpole, please don't, just, uh, please don't resign, don't leave oh, me. I'll give you the, the 10th of Downing Street, and then Robert Walpole's like, hmm, hmm, I'll think about, actually, I'll take that as my office. I won't stay there, but I'll take that as my office. Yeah. Which, so that's another interesting history tidbit. Yes, which now, today, the 10th of Downing Street is still known as the Prime Minister's office yep. to this day. Also, Walpole running between House of Lords, House of Commons, and the Kings also gave him the moniker of the minister behind the curtain. Kind of like... Screen Master General. Screen Master General or the magical Wizard of Oz. He was behind the curtain influencing and advising the king as well as all of the different political parties. To his own advantage, I guess, but also not because he could no longer have a seat at the table. Originally, we wanted to cover uh, on this episode Margaret Thatcher. Uh, There was not enough resources that I could find of paying Margaret Thatcher in a bad light. Even though I personally agree with Margaret Thatcher, I think it's a little bit too close to home, and I was thinking about more of uh, things with Prime Ministers, England, its soft powers, and its kind of incredible influence over the world. I still think we could paint Margaret Thatcher as a villain in future episodes. But we wanted to get to the crux of why prime ministers are here, why kingships and presidencies and people holding governmental power for such a long time is in predominance. Right. And I think a lot of uh, Robert Walpole's actual policies during his PM-ship was actually beneficial to the country. Uh, It was just putting everyone below him to get there is a little bit disgusting mm-hmm. in, in my opinion and i think that's why he makes a suitable villain for today he did beneficial things for england but he also did some very heinous things yeah and i think at least for me that outweighs the good things he did me too i i believe that as well so let's kind of like go through his villains arc now that we've Talked about his life. I mean, like, he, what, died of a kidney stone? Yeah, that's one thing we didn't mention. In 1745, after being the envoy between those houses, he died in London from a bladder stone at 68 years old. So He, he never... died a rich man, too. 
he was never hanged, he was never tried, he was never questioned. He died a natural lifespan, which for all of the heinous things he did, doesn't seem like there's much justification. His atonement is this podcast. So let's go into our villains arc. Yeah, we mentioned throughout the entire time we've been talking about him, certain villains point, but let's just do a little recap because the villains arc, you know, gotta have a little succinct wheel. So Walpole's trauma was his brother's death and his father's death, which forced him to assume the role of a politician. I actually don't know if it made, because he was almost a clergyman. I mean, kind of that trauma, I think also just the trauma of where he was born. I don't, to be fair, I don't think it was very dramatic for him, but it was a point in life's journey that is hard for people to grapple with usually. So why I called his brother and his father's deaths trauma is because that is the most horrifying thing Walpole had experienced in his early life. I think all that responsibility caused trauma because he was... That's fair. That's fair. Because he was... He was... He went to private school. He went to King's College, Cambridge. He and was a was little guarded a baby. Yeah. He he never knew how to take care of himself. And not along. earlier, yeah, he, I, at least I assumed that he would have left that to the primary male figures in his family because at the time, it's only the males that have power, of course. Uh, so when that's finally thrust on him, that is a culture shock for him. He used to go to pubs and rub elbows and have fun with the likes of Isaac Newton, but now I have to deal with politics and land? Preposterous. Actually, no, no, that was, uh, that's a little bit after he actually rubbed elbows after that. I think before that, he actually didn't even think intellectually. I don't think he, I think he was just kind of like going with the flow and being like, oh, my dad and my brother have it figured out. I wasn't saying he thought intellectually, but when he was at Cambridge, that was around the same time of people like Isaac Newton, which ties into the next part of the villain's arc, the mentorship. I think when he was at Cambridge, he got some intellectual advice, but probably didn't give it credence until he actually was forced past his trauma into Parliament, where he met members of Parliament and the Kit Kat Club. Do you think his trauma and his mentorship made him want to betray his like mom and family i i couldn't say because from our sources i don't really know how he felt about his family other than maybe it was his temptations yeah i i I, if you were trying to be humanist like other than just saying walpole didn't care about his family at all the temptations would make him feel human to evolve as a villain right we don't have evidential proof that that's the case, but we do know that his temptations and frivolity made well, it's like money and power kind of a really. villain, yeah, throughout his entire tenure. And maybe it's because, like, with his dad and his older brothers, maybe he felt like he was a little bit not powerful, and then as soon as they died, he's like, "Oh, this is my chance. I'm going to just seize it, just take it." Perhaps it was also a learned temptation, which is the third point in the villain's arc. If he became a hereditary wig after his brothers and his dad died, wouldn't maybe you he was taking on the mantle? I guess. Wouldn't you assume that Walpole was brought up seeing what his father and his older brothers did, and that temptation as being a part of Parliament? 
ooh, ooh, you're right. And maybe he just did better than they did. Maybe he actually learned from them. And maybe they just met an untimely death. Because we don't know, at least you and I don't know about his elder brother's schooling or his father. But we do know he went to Cambridge, even if he wasn't very smart. He met smart people. He saw what well, he was clever. He was very doing. clever. Yeah. So he saw what his father was doing, his brothers. He saw what people like Isaac Newton were doing. So he's getting that wealth of information even if he doesn't necessarily know how to utilize it it will play out in the later years when he actually has that power to use it that's entirely fair and you know i agree with that i agree with that and after his temptations he falls into those temptations all into the darkest pits of hell Mm -hmm. and then has his london his tower of london his revelation his death is getting kicked out of parliament but it, very shortly, it brings him back to his own rebirth and transformation of getting reelected into Parliament. Yeah, and then, boom. Boom, flip it! This is from um, Ben Kissel, who was a heavy inspiration. Uh, we Thank coined... you, last podcast on the left. Hell yeah. Uh, we have coined a new point in the villain's arc as the boom, flip it arc. This will not always happen for every villain, But as we define it, it's usually when the villain tries to either prove to the heroes that they are on their side or to split the villains themselves. So for Robert Walpole, he divided the Whig party after George II took power. A little bit like a Trump figure, as we're seeing now in 2022 America. Or even to take it further back, uh, I remember this thing called the Tea Party. Hmm which split the republicans way back before trump even split the republicans right but the republicans are pretty good at holding on to power that's a different conversation for a different time also we are not a political podcast we're just a villainous podcast yes so take that as you will uh finally for wally's resolution Usually for a hero's journey, there's an atonement or a resolution. But for good old Wally, there was never an atonement. He never repented for any of the heinous Wait, things he did. Not a kidney, uh, kidney stone? Kidney yeah. stone's not atonement? Depends on how bad the kidney stone was. He could have just passed a crystal in his piss and died. But it sounds like because he died at, what was it, 68 years old from a kidney stone, maybe it was a pretty big one, and it ruptured his bladder or it ruptured his urethra wait are you saying to me he wasn't killed by all of the people that he robbed of money lost their shirts made go into war uh basically blackmailed and to destroy people's lives you're telling me that he just died in his house of a health issue don't know if it was his house but yeah he died of health issues so Good old Wally's villain's arc resolution. He dies of health issues at 68 years old. So us judging him now is his atonement, which I think brings Wally's villain's arc full circle. Fuck him. I'm just saying that I like villains, but man, if this guy was my friend, he would not be my friend for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would, I would like to think I would know it's sus. But I don't know if I would have any power to change it if I was someone else. So now that we've covered the overview of Walpole's villains arc, after doing a deep dive of it, let's talk about his alignment and tactics. 
I, lawful? Yeah, I mean, he made the law, so I would say that Wally was the textbook definition of lawful evil because he not only created, but also followed the law and used it to crush others around him. So the textbook definition is they will obey the letter of the law, but not the spirit. And they are usually very careful about giving their word because it always revolves around the word, the law. So how did Wally do that? So he really did that by uh, keeping his double books. So he didn't mm-hmm. keep the spirit of it, but he always kept the du jour of it, you could say. Because the spirit would not be to keep double books, right? Yeah. To be, to be legit and honest. And by double books, we don't mean double bookkeeping. We mean like two different books of accounting. The true and the false. Right. And then he used that leverage against parliament and the laws inside of his country to keep other people down. He used it to push them, pressure them, and he would always go with that of which he believed was just, but was just is what benefited him. And the king. Uh, I don't even say the king, because he eroded the king's power until... Well, at least as a start it would benefit the king and then eventually himself right until this day now the prime minister has much more power than the king himself through being lawful evil i would also say that wally changed the law so he could remain in power i mean through the sheer fact he created the role of prime ministership himself and manipulating parliament so he could stay in for 20 years that's pretty lawful evil if you were defining the law as this is my position of power and no one can challenge me until I get voted out, essentially. If you have an entire term called Robinocracy <laughs> named after you, I think you're pretty much being like a villain. And like this also kind of becomes like the hardest evil to get rid of because it becomes entrenched. It becomes part of the system. It becomes established into the laws and how it goes and how it works. And then that system also itself is tainted with a little bit of that corruption. One could say like the criminal justice system. But, you know, at least apparently he could outlive uh, a head of lettuce. This is round of a head of as a head of lettuce. <laughs> so yeah, to sum it up, Walpole was the first and the longest serving prime minister from 1721 to 1742, and he was not the best, nor was he the worst. But hey, X. Yep. From one of my sources, can you please read what one of his contemporaries thought of him? Alrighty. To quote from the biography of Robert Walpole, UK Prime Minister. In private life, he was good-natured, cheerful, social, inelegant in his manners, loose in his morals. He had a coarse wit, which he feared was too free for of a man of his station, as it is always inconsistent with dignity. He was a very able minister, but without a certain elevation of mind. He was both the ablest parliament man and the ablest manager of a parliament that I believe ever lived. 
money, not a prerogative, was the chief engine of his administration, and he employed it with a success that in a manner disgraced humanity. When he found anybody proof against pecuniary temptations, which alas, but seldom, he had recourse to still a worse art, for he laughed at and ridiculed all notions of public virtue and the love of one's country, calling them the chimerical schoolboy flights of classical learning, declaring himself at the same time no saint, no Spartan, no reformer. He would frequently ask young fellows at their first appearance in the world which their honest hearts were yet untainted. Well, are you to be an old Roman? A patriot? You will soon come off of that and grow wiser. And thus, he was more dangerous to the morals than to the liberties of this country, to which I am persuaded that he met no ill in his heart. His name will not be recorded in history among the best men or the best ministers, but much less ought it to be ranked amongst the worst. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks for letting us wig out for this pod- podcast. <laughs> Uh, what made you, uh, villainous this week, X? This week? You mean this month? Uh, uh who cares? What is time? What is time? No, isn't a week a month? Am I ever truly clean? Am well, I, am I, am I treasury of the, uh, the Lord of Treasury yet? You wish. Uh, I totally wish, but Our are you Lord the Lord of Treasury? No, I wish as well. Our cat is. Um, for this month, I did a, a bit of traveling myself. I was not trying to conquer nations or uh, invest in trade stonks. Uh, I don't think you're ambitious enough then. Not yet. Not yet. My evil ambitions go far greater. When I was in the airport, one could say I transported a demonic curse across international borders twice. Because we went to a different country and brought a go board with us and go is a game yes it's what one could compare it to chess from visuals but it is not like chess it is easier to learn but harder to strategize i would say i would say so yeah so i brought a travel go board with me in my carry-on bag and I, i'm not paying for check bags i'm bringing carry-on anywhere i go but every time I ran it through, my bag would get stopped. And we had to go through security four times from where we were traveling to where we came back to. And it got flagged every time. And they always had to go, can you pull out this board? Can we open it up? Can we look at the little containers that hold the go board beans? And they were very confused about what it was. I was like, it's just a board game. But every time we play it at home, every time we open the go board, the cat appears out of nowhere from the shadows. So that's why I said I was transporting a demonic curse across international lines. And she bullies me every night and haunts me. The cat. She does. Yes. She is the demon in the house. So if you ever want to meet a demon, you can hang out with us, play a game of Go, and then meet a demonic cat. What made you villainous this month, Trin? Uh, it's kind of a similar story, but not really. Um, I would say worse. Uh, oh, it was much worse. It was much worse. Uh, I'm, I'm much more of a jerk than you are. Um, I also got randomly selected. You were flagged. Oh, no, I wasn't flagged. I, you were randomly selected. I, 
for the first time ever, I was not randomly selected. I always get randomly selected. But randomly searching for you. So I bought this thing. Um, where we had traveled to. Where, where I was from. And it was a bullet. But it wasn't an actual bullet. It was a bullet where uh, you could take the bullet out and there was the shell and it was just a lighter. It had the flint on the outside. It wasn't even a real bullet. It was shaped like one. It was just shaped like one. The entire shell was not filled with gunpowder, but it was filled with cotton. Um, There was no way for a bullet to go out of it. There was actually no bullet inside of the shell. There was also no lighter fluid. There was also no lighter fluid. It was not flammable. Anyway, I was going through airport security. Also with a carry-on bag. Also with a carry-on bag, so I cannot put it in. And also, to be fair, um, due to regulations, you have to take anything that could be uh, a spark or fire or uh, anything that could be... Flammable. Yeah, Anything flammable or that could ignite, you have to take with you. So I I put it into the bins, and I'm going through that. A TSA, I guess, officer pulls it out and goes, you cannot bring this, sir. And I go, okay, why? And she just goes, because you can't. You also had a screwdriver, too, but we were willing to throw away the screwdriver. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, screwdriver, whatever. This thing I had gotten and was pretty special to me. And and to be fair, you have also brought a vintage lighter across international borders before without a hassle. Yes, yes. And you're supposed to carry that on your person. Like, it's just safety. And also, not only did this lighter not have any, like, was it not only not a bullet, also did not have any kerosene in it so it wasn't even flammable it only had flint and so they're taking it and then i i almost get into like a fight with this lady like i'm like there's a big argument while we're trying to run our shit through the security scan yeah yeah and so i'm 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 like looking at her i'm like why and she's like because i'm like why and she's like because and she's like never a good answer so if anybody asks you why actually give them true answers there's just for genuine decency yeah and, and and i was i was so mad i was so mad and i'm all and, and she's like do you want me to call the police sir and i look at her and i go yeah go do it and i grab his ass and go no we have a flight to make do not accost this officer and get the cops called on you because that's never a good thing to happen do not exacerbate so that was the most villainous i've been recently but she was a bit villainous to you, too. But there was someone under her where uh, I got my shit, like, extra scanned because of it. Oh, is this Hero of the Week? Yeah, this is Hero, Hero of, the, of week. the Month. Hero of the Month. Um, I got my shit, like, extra scanned. Probably because my demonic curse got flagged before you and they knew we were traveling together. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I can't believe about your demonic curse. Ah. Anyway. This one person, um, we were just sitting in the airport. Uh, I was still fuming. I, I, I was angry. I, I was ready 
to get into a fight. We were trying to find our next terminal as well, so we were on the move. We were on the move, and uh, this agent tracked me down and said, Hey, sir, you forgot this. I really hope you have a good day. And I, I was blown away by that. It was his jacket that he left at security. And this lady had seen the whole kerfuffle with the bullet lighter, seen the whole kerfuffle with the cursed go board, and I think she was empathetic. I, I don't know, but she was... She, she was the she was hero. A saint. Yeah. yeah. She, we she talk w- a lot about villains, but this lady, blessings be unto her, because she was just genuinely nice and she was amazing didn't have to be either yeah no she didn't have to track me down and so i I thought that was great and so yeah that was uh the most villainous and i think uh i could have been worse but i i uh slightly chose not to i think i'm still getting mad i think i'm still getting mad just thinking about it yeah yeah all right well let's segue this is not about you. This is about Robert Walpole. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you would like to learn more about Robert Walpole and or the South Sea Trading Company slash South Sea Bubble, you can go to YouTube.com and watch at Extra Credits. They have the five-part series on the South Sea Trading Company, which heavily inspired today's episode. And you can uh, read the biography of Robert Walpole UK Prime Minister by Sharma Bijanand. You can also read, even though it's a bit long, there's a lot of cool tidbits of information in there. Money for Nothing, The Scientists, Fraudsters, and Corrupt Politicians Who've Reinvented Money, Panic Donation, and Made the World Rich by Thomas Levinson. If you'd like to be part of the World Domination Committee, follow us wherever that interface that you do podcast listens to and you know what leave us a review why not i left a review after our last podcast Mm. you can also infiltrate the wired with us by visiting our website at worlddomination.ca and then send some villainous correspondence to committee at worlddomination.ca what villain should we cover next Mm -hmm. yeah next we're covering a villain from media so any cool tv shows books novels magazines comics whatever send us info we might cover them next you can also read our snarky remarks on the hellscape that is twitter at the capital w capital d capital c capital podcast see what shenanigans i'm up to at trin t-r-y-n-n dot tech kind of like trying dot tech you're trying too hard now. Oh, come on, man. I'm just trying over here. You can also help proliferate the gay agenda by reading What We Do in the Closet on Tapas or any other comic interface app that you have your grubby little fingers on. Well, that's all, fuckers. See ya. This podcast was brought to you by Productions.
Good night, babies.